0: Let's jump into our teaching for today in 1st Kings chapter 17. You see, as I felt as we started preparing ourselves for a new year, there's no better thing to talk about than faith. You see, 2018 is going to be a year where we don't really know what God's doing in our lives. Some of us are praying through what God's going to do, and some of us have no idea what's about to come our way this year. But at the end of the day, we have our faith to stand on. We can stand on the rock, that is Jesus, our, our consistent, our, the constant thing in our lives as we look towards Christ and we take our steps of faith, trusting in him and the plan that he has for our life. And the story of Elijah is one of my favorites in all of Scripture because of uh, how God uses him and how God prepares him uh, to take his next step of faith, and then how God chooses to use him, and to me, what's one of the most epic moments in all of Scripture But God didn't just bring him to that point. It says that God had steps along the way that he had to take and trust him. Each step, some were small, some were great, but God was doing a work in his life to prepare him for what he was calling him to. But some brief background information before we jump in. Uh, here, the nation of Israel has been split for about 200 years at this point. The northern kingdom of Israel, uh, pretty much since the beginning, has been given over to wickedness. Uh, the worship of Baal and the Asherah. they've been turned away from God and started worshiping these false idols and seeking uh, the idols for what they have for them and not believing that God even exists anymore. And it says that for 200 years, they've been ruled by 19 wicked rulers throughout these 200 years. So imagine 200 years of oppression from your ruler. The ruler is pointing you away from God and towards Baal, encouraging the worship of Baal. And then along comes this guy named Ahab. And Ahab, it says in Scripture, was the worst for all 200 years. He was the worst to come so far. It says in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And so as wicked as all these guys were, this guy took the cake. He was the absolute worst. And it didn't stop with him. As you continue to read and study Ahab, you know that he's married to this even more wicked woman. Her name is Jezebel. And there's certain names in the Bible that you don't really have a lot of friends these days named Jezebel. You don't have a lot of friends named Judas. And it's because of what their name has come to symbolize and represent. Even in our culture, thousands of years Later, in fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, that she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so they may commit acts of morality and eat things sacrificed to idols. <coughs> Excuse me. So her name becomes synonymous with evil and wickedness. And so you have this power couple of wicked and evil that is overseeing the nation of Israel during this time, and God stands up and says, I've had enough. And so instead of raising up an army and coming in and striking them down, what does he do? In typical fashion, he raises up one man. He raises up one man, and this man was Elijah, become one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel. And Elijah's name simply means, my God is Jehovah. From the very being of who he is, God goes straight to the core of the problem with Israel. They're worshiping these false gods, and he sends my God as Jehovah to kind of send a message to the king and to the people of Israel during this time. He trusts Elijah to step out in faith, to stand before a king that could really strike him down at any point, and through faith say, God has a message for you. And then God begins this work in Elijah's life to prepare him for this next step. And as we head into 2018, I believe this is going to be a great year where a lot of us will be tested in our faith. And we'll be able to point back to this story of Elijah and see how God worked with him every step along the way. Some steps were difficult, some were even more difficult. But what we can all agree on is that faith rarely makes sense. Faith rarely makes sense. When you take that step of faith and you're looking at the situation before, you're looking to what God's calling you to, it rarely makes sense on paper whether it's financial, whether it's uh, you know, something you're going through in your health or a friend, you look at that and you say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? What is happening? Why would I do that? But God is calling you to take a step. And that's where Elijah was. He steps out in faith and he trusts God each step of the way. And so with that being said, let's jump into 1 Kings chapter 17 and see how God starts preparing Elijah for his great step of faith. In 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so here's Elijah standing before this wicked king, and he says, the Lord God lives. So immediately contradicting what Ahab has been teaching his people, that Baal is the God of our people, the old God is dead, he no longer exists. And he says, my God lives Before whom I stand, he says, you know, literally, I might be standing here before you, king, but I don't answer to you, I answer to God. And so I'm standing before God in your faith, you could strike me down right now, but through faith, saying this is the message that God has for you, that there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Here's what that means for Israel. You're talking about a total economic meltdown for these people. Agriculture was huge in these days. People survived through their wells and the water that they had, And God was saying, I'm going to completely remove that from the land. It would be the equivalent of something like oil today. If we had no oil and everything dried up, you can imagine the chaos that that would cause with commerce and and everything. But it would be a complete economic collapse. And so he says, not only am I coming after you, but you're going to basically struggle until I say the word. And so he stands through faith in front of the king, takes the first step that God calls him to to take, stand in front of the king and tell him, there's not going to be any rain until I tell you on your outline, I want you to write this down. Faith begins by acknowledging God's power in me. Faith begins by acknowledging God's power in me. You see, Elijah was just a man. He was just a man. He didn't have superpowers. He didn't have anything special about him other than he believed in God and he believed in God's word. He believed in God and he believed the promises that God was laying out for him each step of the way. And that's why God was able to use him. It wasn't because he was special, but he had that power from God because he believed in God and believed who he said he was. And that's where faith begins. It begins by acknowledging God's power in me. So you and I have that same power. We have that same ability to believe in God and to believe that he can work through us. He can work in us to do great things when we believe him for his word. The same power that Elijah had here in the book of first kings so faith begins by acknowledging god's power in me and I continue on in verse two it says the word of the lord came to him saying go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself in the brook of kareth which is east of the jordan it shall be that you will drink of the brook and i've commanded the ravens to provide for you there so he went and did according to the word of the lord for he went and lived by the brook of kareth which is east of the Jordan. And so we see God call him to take this first step. He stands before the king. He says, here's what's going to happen. And then we see a couple of things happen. God removes him from that situation and he moves him to the brook of Karith. And so there's a couple reasons he does this. Number one, we know his protection. He is protecting Elijah from what this angry king, I'm sure he wouldn't be happy at this point. He's protecting him by redrawing him and taking him out to the wilderness, but he's also bringing him there for provision. He's going to provide very naturally and supernaturally to Elijah while he's out in the wilderness. And so, why Kareth? Why did he bring him there? Well, the word Kareth in the Hebrew literally means to cut away or to cut down. To cut away or to cut down. Like I said, faith rarely makes sense. And there are times God will call us to take a step of faith to go out and trust Him in His plan only to make things get a little harder for us while we're there. You see, he didn't remove Elijah and put him to this comfortable Ritz Carlton on the ocean. He says, no, I'm going to move you to the brook. You're going to drink water from the ground. The ravens will bring you food. I'll give you what you need, but you're going to live in solitude for months as I cut away, as I chop you down, as I prepare you and get you to the place where I can use you. And some of us are right there right now. God is cutting away at our life. He is seemingly taking things away from us but he's preparing you for your next step. He's preparing you for that great thing, that epic moment in your life where God's bringing you where he wants you and cutting away and chipping away at your life so that he can use you and prepare you and humble you and bring you to the place where he can use you in incredible ways. And that's exactly where Elijah was. On your outline, you can write this. It says, God will work in you before he can work through you. God will work in you before he can work through you. One of my favorite podcasts, I have this list of podcasts that I listen to a couple of times in years, a year, and one of them is Charles Stanley was sharing a few years ago his top 10 learnings in ministry. And so the top 10 things that he's learned in his 50 years of ministry, and the number one thing he says is that when you're ready to take your step of faith, when you're ready to jump into ministry, when you're going where God calls you, prepare for the crushing. Prepare for the crushing. Because God has to do a work in you before he can work through you. It's going to get uncomfortable, it'll get difficult, it won't make sense, but God is preparing you for your next step. He's preparing you by crushing you, by cutting away and chopping away and getting you to where he needs you to be. So Elijah is let alone in the wilderness by himself. God is there providing for him, preparing him, cutting away, getting him to take his next step. And then in verse 6 it says this, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. You see, we have a saying here, and that's where God guides, God provides. And so consistently, like clockwork, it says that the ravens showed up in the morning, they showed up in the evening. Through the the drought and the famine, there was food, there was water, and his basic needs were met. Again, wasn't living in luxury, but God met him like clockwork every step of the way and provided for him once he took that step of faith. God says, go here and I will provide. So where God guides, God provides. Sometimes it's supernatural provision. Sometimes God will work a miracle in our life. Sometimes it's that check that shows up that shouldn't have shown up. Sometimes it's the food that shows up at your front door. And sometimes it's through very natural means. Sometimes God says you need healing, the doctor is gonna take care of it. But God ultimately has a plan. He can use natural. He can use supernatural. But he is at work in our lives each step of the way. In verse 7, it continues on. It says, And it happened after a while, Underlined the brook, dried up, because there was no rain in the land. And then underword the word, then. Underline the word, then. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. And so the brook dries up. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. And so a couple of things we note there is that sometimes God will remove the blessing in order to get us to take our next step. You see, the other side of where God guides, God provides is sometimes that God will remove the blessing in order to move us a certain direction. We become so dependent on the thing that God's given us on our our job, on our, our family, on this great stuff that we have that God says, I've got to remove that from your life before I can move you in the direction I want you to go. And so he says, the brook dried up. And it didn't say that Elijah started to panic. It didn't say that he started making plans on his own behalf. It says that then the Lord of the Word came to him and he said, Go to Zarephath. And that's what he did. You see, many of us, again, we get in that situation where we're taking a step of faith God, I'm going to trust you. There's a blessing there. There's provision there. And then all of a sudden that provision dries up. God, why did you bring me here? And we start to panic and we start making plans. We start trying to do our own things. But we need to wait upon the Lord. Elijah waits upon the Lord. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. It didn't come first. He didn't say go, and then the brook dried up, the brook dried up, and then he said, go. So we have to wait upon the Lord, wait upon him, wait upon his plan and his step. You see on your outline, it says this, faith is total dependence on God's plan for my life. Faith is total dependence on God's plan for my life even when it doesn't make sense, even when the provision is gone, you've taken a step and things get more difficult. It is completely depending that he has you there for a reason. See, God needs to remove the blessing to move us forward. <clears throat> I said at the beginning of, of the teaching, we're going to talk a little bit about the building. And I've been in this process for six years. How many of you guys have been here for all six years that we want to walk through this process of, uh, of the building? I know there's been a, quite a few of us that have been there. And it started about six years ago. Um, we were praying through, you know, the church is growing. What is our next step? What do we do? And uh, we had this land, this seven acres that was just to the south of us. And so we were praying, and we would really love to buy this land. And for a couple of years, we were praying for that and trying to see what we could do. We talked to the people that owned it, and they wanted $3.2, 3300000 million for it, uh, way more than we wanted to spend. So we just kept praying. We kept talking. And then one day, our phone rings. And they say, hey, we're ready to dump the land, $700,000, and it's yours. And we're like, Done sure, we'll take it. And so this was a time, a season as a church, we were walking through where I won't say that we were flush with cash or anything, but we took a step and said, God, you know, we believe we've been praying for you've provided. We're going to take a step of faith and trust you. And so we bought the land. A few months later, through a generous donation to the church, we were able to completely pay off that land. And so God showed up each step of the way. It didn't make total sense at the time to take that step, but we believe God brought us there for a reason so we took a step, and God showed up. We took another step, and God showed up. And for six years now, since 2011, we've been through this process of rezoning the property. If you guys have ever worked with Palm Beach County, you know that it can be a little difficult. Uh, but six years is a little unheard of, uh, even, as, even by Palm Beach County uh, standards. Um, but we, you know, we, we faced some things. We worked with people. We tried to take steps. There was persecution along the way. But finally, we kept taking steps, saying, God, we know that you have a great plan for this church. We're going to trust you and your plan for this church. We're going to keep stepping and keep trusting. And God has shown up each step of the way. You see, along the way, uh, let me be honest with you, there have been times where uh, we have looked at the situation and said, God, uh, are you in this or not? Do you you want us to go a different direction? Are we supposed to do this or are we supposed to step back? And do something else. We started looking at other property. We started looking at, you know, is multi-site an option? We started looking at, um, you know, do we move the campus? All these different things we started praying through. But God showed up each step of the way and said, look, I gave you the land. I gave you the land. Take a step, trust me, and I will show up. And that's what it keeps coming back to. Every time we start praying through God, what is it you're trying to do? He points us back to that step that he had us and He reminds us, you took a step, I showed up, I will be there each step of the way. And because of your generosity, we've told you that we need to raise $2 million before we can break ground. We've raised, let me get this number right, $508,000, so a quarter of the way there, because of your generosity and your faith and trusting and taking that step of faith with us. And I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. You can definitely clap for that, for sure. But obviously we still have steps to go. What I'll share with you is, as Pastor Dan shared a few weeks ago, we were going to submit for our building permits. And a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from our our contractor, and it had the the application. Everything was submitted a few weeks ago uh, to begin the process of filing for our building applications. And um, and so we're in that process, which should take a few months, should take a few months. Um, But we're praying through, taking a step of faith. We know what we need in order to break ground. We know that it's not there yet. We know on paper it doesn't make sense. Well, we've examined every option. We prayed for six years for God to, you know, quite frankly, provide a way out if this isn't the way he wants us to go, but he keeps moving us forward. And I believe that God has a great plan for this church. I believe that you guys are a part of that plan for this church. I think a lot of us can get super comfortable where we're at, but like Elijah, he says, No, I'm going to send you out into the wilderness, and it's going to get real uncomfortable. But that's where I want you, so I can use you. So for some of us, it means you know, changing services for a while. For some of us, it means actually having to talk to people about Jesus and invite them to church and getting uncomfortable. But God has a great plan for this church. He has a great plan for you. And each step that you take is a step towards dependence and trusting him and his plan for your life. And we are taking a step as a church, believing that God is going to show up. As he has every step of the way, he will show up again this time. And we're excited to take that step. We're scared. We're nervous, but we truly believe that God gave us the land, that he's calling us to take this step, and we're excited about the future of this church and what God's going to do through this church. And so Elijah wasn't comfortable. He was wrestling with what's going on, trying to figure it out, but God's still there, still providing for him, and says, go take this step. I want you to take your next step, leave this place, and head to Zarephath. So in verse 10 it says, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. God said, I'll provide through a widow. And there she was. And he called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar. Remember, there wasn't a whole lot of water in the land at this time. He says, get, Grab me some water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. So not only does say, I want to drink, but I need you to give me some food, if you don't mind. And then verse 12 says, But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl, and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering these few sticks that I may go and prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. And so God says to Elijah, I want you to rise, go to Zarephath. A widow will provide for you. You're taken care of. He gets there and says, grab me some water. I can do that. Make me some cake. I'm literally about to make the last of it before we die. It's all I have. And so you can imagine Elijah at this point, it's like, God, you said you'll provide through this widow. I show up and now she's like, oh, I'm about to die because I don't have any more food. And so you start going through those questions of, God, why did you bring me here? Why are you using this widow? You provided through the ravens. Where are the ravens now? Why use this woman? It's because God was not only doing a great work in Elijah's life, but through Elijah was about to do a great work in the life of this widow. You see, the widow was poor. We see her out gathering sticks. It was difficult for a woman to hold a job, a single woman especially, to hold a job at this point, trusting her son to really support the family. But God says, I'm going to humble you, Elijah, to go and take help from the widow. And I'm going to prepare the widow who does not believe in me. Notice she says, the Lord, your God, to take a step of faith and trust me when I say I will show up. So God brings Elijah to Zarephath. The word Zarephath on your outline there, it literally means the refinery. So God takes Elijah to Carith, where he says, I'm going to cut away and whittle away at you. And then in your next step, you're going to go to the refinery where I'm going to continue to mold you and prepare you. For this next step he doesn't immediately throw him in there he says you know what there's going to be steps along the way where each step i'm going to do a work in your life and prepare you for what i have for you next and so this is the next step in his journey in john 15:2, it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit he says, look, when you're bearing fruit, when you're doing great things for God, you know, things don't necessarily always get better. He goes, I'm going to chop away. I'm going to cut away. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to make you and bring you to the place where you can produce more fruit. You're going to be more useful to me as I continue to chop away at these things and humble you and bring you to the place that I want you to be. It doesn't always get better. It can get more difficult. The steps get more difficult. But God is building up that dependence upon him, building up that trust, Upon God. And so God chooses this widow to provide for him uh, during this time, who is poor, didn't believe in him, gathering sticks, so she's literally preparing herself to go and die. And here's what happens. In verse 13, it says, that Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake from it first, and bring it out to me. A small lesson in the first fruits. Bring it to me first. And afterward, you make one for yourself and your son." For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted for the jar of oil, or, the, or the jar of oil be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The owl of flour was never exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So God shows up, performs this miracle, But what you notice is that he didn't say, look, go look at the flour. There's more there. There's more oil there. Go make me a cake. He says, no. He says, go make me a cake first. Make one for your family, and then God will show up, and there will be the blessing. When you take that step of faith, when you step out and say, I'm going to trust you, then God will show up. On your outline, faith takes place one step at a time. Faith takes place one step at a time. You see, for Elijah, God should have said, God could have said, here's the entire plan. Okay, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. Here's how I'm going to show up here. Here's how I'm going to provide for you here. And then over here, we're going to do this. And This, this is going to be this great moment here. And then this is going to happen in your life. But he knows he couldn't handle that. He'd be overwhelmed. He says, one step at a time, I want you to go to Kareth. I want you to go to Zarephath. I want you to go talk to the king. One step at a time. And then through the widow, he said, I could have just provided all the oil and all the flour I wanted, but he said, each time she makes it, each time she goes back, there'll be just enough, just enough for you to make more for you and your family, to provide for Elijah, to take care of him, you're going to use that up, you're going to trust me that I'm going to show up and I'm going to show up again, Then you're going to use that and then I'm going to show up again, because I promise at my word that I will show up and I will meet your need, and he does, each step along the way. Faith takes place one step at a time. There's a couple of things we learn from the widow here. Number one is that Elijah allowed her to feed him. Elijah allowed her to feed him. You can imagine how humbling it probably was for Elijah, this man, this prophet, to show up and meet a widow who had nothing and say, I want you to feed me. It would be incredibly humbling for a guy to do that at this point. But we also know that the widow took a step of faith, who had nothing, didn't even believe in this God and took a step of faith and said, I'll do what you said because you say your God will show up. And she does it, and sure enough, he shows up. So on your outline, I put two questions there. Something for you to think about in your life, and your faith. Number one, am I prohibiting others from being God's blessing to me? Am I prohibiting others from being God's blessing to me? See, God has provided you with gifts God has provided some of you financially. God has provided some of you with the ability to, uh, you know, whatever it is that you do, God has brought you there for a reason. And we're to use our gifts to uh, build each other up. But what that means is uh, when you need prayer, you need to ask. When you need, you have to ask. Are you allowing other people to be a blessing in your life? And for a lot of us, our barriers and our walls go up, our pride goes up, and we say, you know what, I'm good I can make it alone. I don't need your help. But we're withholding the blessing from that person to be able to speak into your life, to be able to do what God has prepared them to do, to speak into your life. And so am I stopping other people and prohibiting others from being a blessing to me? There was a time about, uh, I don't know, nine years ago or so, uh, where I, we had just gotten married. Um, I was working at a local school, wasn't making a whole lot of money. My wife was unemployed at the time. And uh, <clears throat> We had missed a, an FPNL payment, and uh, if you know FPNL well, they don't—they they kind of frown upon that type of thing. And so, for a couple of months, I was able to keep us like one month behind. Um, but we, so we'd pay that month, previous month, but we'd still be a month behind, kind of thing. So we did that for like four or five months or so. Before I get home, there's like a pink notice on our door that says, "Hey, we're going to show up on this date and just cut your power unless you make it up." And we owed like I don't know, six hundred dollars or something like that. And I, that was more money than I can imagine. And uh, <clears throat> so. I'm like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have 600 bucks. I don't know people that have 600 bucks that can help me at this immediate time. And uh, I get a phone call from uh, Chris Gepner, who used to be a youth pastor here. You he might some of you guys remember Chris, tall, bald guy, playing at a church up in uh, Vermont. Um, but he called me up and said, look, the church wants to step in and help. And uh, my immediate answer was, you know, no, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Um, I-, I couldn't figure it out. But my pride was getting in the way of somebody wanting to reach in and and bless me. From Jesus showing up through somebody else and saying, look, we want to help you meet this need. It's what we do. And so finally I agreed to it. We paid off the bill. Power stayed on. But it took some humility and some humbling on me to allow somebody else to bless me. See, for some of us, we love blessing others, but you don't want to be on the receiving end of that blessing. But imagine what you're doing to the other people who want to bless you. God wants to do a work in their life by blessing you. So am I prohibiting others from being a blessing to me. The widow was able to bless Elijah because he dropped his pride and allowed her to provide for him. And then number two, am I allowing God to use me as a blessing to others? Am I allowing God to use me as a blessing to others? God wants to use you to speak into other people's lives. God has prepared you for a work in other people's lives. Are you allowing him to work in your life to bless others? So we see him trusting her she trusts him, and we see God show up in the midst of it all. So Elijah makes a promise, says the bowl will never be empty. The oil will be there. The flour will be there. On your outline, I want you to write this. Faith often takes sacrifice, but leads to God's blessing. Faith often takes sacrifice, but leads to God's blessing. Hebrews thirteen sixteen it says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices... God is pleased. You see, we always tend to give out of our surplus. I've got enough now, so I'll give. But God says, I love sacrificial giving. I love giving when it doesn't make sense. I love blessing when it doesn't make sense. When we say, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to step out and give because it's what you're calling me to do, even when it doesn't make sense. It's much like the widow's mite. If you Heard that story in the New Testament where it says God's at the temple and he sees all these rich people dumping off their buckets of money and paying their tithes and giving it to the temple, and God's pleased with that. But then this widow shows up with what's next to nothing compared to what these other guys are giving, and she sacrificially gives, and he says, surely her gift is greater than the rest of these because she gave out a sacrifice. She didn't know where her next meal was coming from. This was all the money she had, but she gave because God had called her to do that. And she steps out and trusts, and God says, that is what it's all about. We give out of sacrifice. This widow sacrificed for Elijah, and God showed up, and the blessing was on the back end. Faith often takes sacrifice, but leads to God's blessing. In verse 17, Now it came about these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath in him, so her son dies. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. So God is doing this great thing in the midst of Elijah, this great thing in this woman. And then you can imagine what's going through Elijah's mind when her son dies. He's like, God, what are you doing? He goes, you show up, you bring me here, you're doing this work. And the circumstances get harder. Now she's saying, oh, you man of God, you, you've brought my sin up. You know, We don't know what the sin is, but he's, it's caused my son to die, and it's all your fault. So all that work that we have done to bring us to this point is nothing because you allowed her son to die. And so he starts questioning the circumstances. God, why would you allow this to happen? And So after being blamed for his son's death, in verse 19 he says, he said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And underline this, he called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you brought this calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? And then in the first recorded time in history this ever happened, it said God shows up miraculously. And we see Elijah raise this boy from death to life. The first time we ever see this in scripture. It says, then he stretched himself upon the child three times. Underline the words three times. And he called to the Lord and said, "O Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house which he gave him to his mother. Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And so God was using this as a step of, God, you know, Elijah, or God, you really trust me. And so Elijah's taking this step. He doesn't know what's going on, but he says three times, he stretches over this boy and says, God, bring him back to life. He didn't pray once and didn't come back to life and say, well, I guess it's God's will that it's not supposed to happen. It says, no, he went back again. God still didn't show up. And so what do he do? He went back a third time and said, God, bring this boy back to life. And God brings the boy back to life. So three times he goes to him in prayer, and this happened not because of Elijah's superpower. It happens because he truly believed God and that God was at work and that he had a plan and that he was going to trust him at his word. That's all it took. And he says, bring this boy back to life, and God answered his prayer. So on your outline, I want you to write, my faith is revealed by my persistence. My faith is revealed by my persistence. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Pastor Dan taught on this in May. Great teaching if you want to go online and capture it and listen to it. But here's what it says. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. But when we read that, what we don't understand is that those verbs, ask, seek, knock, are progressive verbs in the Greek. This doesn't mean ask once and seek once and knock once but consistently keep coming back. When God has called you to take a step, he's saying, I want you to keep coming back. I want you to keep asking because I will show up. But I want to see how much your faith has grown and how persistent you will be in coming and asking and coming and knocking and seeking after me and my plan for your life. It is a constant thing to be seeking after God's plan for your life. It is not a one-time ask. It says three times Elijah goes back to God and says, bring this boy back to life before God shows up and brings him back to life. On your outline, to increase my faith, I must pray and seek continually. To increase my faith, I must pray and seek continually. It's not giving up at the first sign of anxiety, the first sign of calamity, where God doesn't show up immediately. God's timing is perfect. He's preparing you for a time. He says, I will bless you. He will bless you in his timing. It is continually seeking, praying, and knocking, and following him in his plan for your life. And then it all wraps up in verse 24. It says this, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And so from this situation, from this step of faith that he takes, We see God show up. We see this widow's life changed when she says, I know your God is truth. I see you standing in faith and believing your God to show up, and your God shows up. Unlike the God I worship and the God I serve, your God showed up. Your God provided. Your God blessed. Did something my God could not. I know the word in your mouth is truth. I know your God is God on your outline, that last one there is, my faith will increase the faith of others. My faith will increase the faith of others. When you step out in faith and you trust God, people are watching. When it doesn't make sense and you take a step of faith, you know people are watching. They're sharing their opinion. This is why you shouldn't do that. This is why you shouldn't go there. This is why it doesn't make sense. But when you know God has called you to take that step of faith, And you take that step of faith, God will show up and God will meet you there. And when God meets you there and people are watching, because of your faith, their faith is increased. And so trust God in his plan. Take the step. Trust God that you're going to show up in that situation where God has called you. And when you take that step of faith, it's going to increase the faith of others around you. Some of you guys here today... Are in that moment of being cut away and being refined, and it's not a fun place to be. But before we get to the mountaintop, God's got to bring you through the valley. God's got to do a work in you before he can do a work through you. But God has a great plan for you on the other side. As God works through you, you look to the blessing, you look to the promise, you look to how God's going to sustain you, how God's providing for you. You're still here today because God is not through with you yet. He has a great plan for your life continually seek after him, pray continually for him and his will, and God will bring you through side by side each step of the way. God is preparing you for something great, something you can't even imagine right now, but he's got a great plan for your life. And next week, we're gonna take a look at Elijah and what God was preparing him for in this epic moment on Mount Carmel where he faces off against the prophets of Baal. Because God was able to bring him through the cutting, bring him through the refinery, to bring him exactly where he needs him to be to take a step of faith and trust him in this situation where he stands off alone in front of these prophets. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this day, and God, I just can't thank you enough for your word. God, the promises that are in it, the encouragement that's in it, Father, for those of us that are seeking you right now in a situation that, quite frankly, we need you to show up. God, we just pray right now that you're actively at work in each one of these situations, that you're moving on behalf of those that are seeking you today. For those that are seeking a miracle, Father, we're just praying that you'll show up and meet that need, Father. For those that have taken a step of faith and are waiting for you to show up, God, we're just praying that you'll continually speak that promise into their life, Father. And God, that in your timing, you show up and you do something great to reach one of us, Father. God, as we go into our, our new year this week, Father, we're just trusting you uh, in our lives personally. God, we're trusting you in the lives of this church. As we step out in faith, God, we want our faith to increase the faith of those around around us, God. As we step out in faith, people are watching. God, when you show up, all we can point back to is you. God, how you brought us here, how you called us to take a step, how we took a step, trusted you, and God, you showed up. And so, Jesus, right now, I pray that you go before us this week, Father, that you could keep working in our lives, keep bringing us to the place, keep molding us and refining us to be the people that you've called us to be. Father, that lives will be changed for all of eternity because of the work that you're doing in us and through us, God. Jesus, we love you so much. It's because of you that we're here today, Father. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.